Welcome to Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups, the show for growing businesses moving at the speed of light. I'm your host, Sophie Power. back to Talent Hacks for Scale-Ups. I'm your host Sophie Power, the talent lead here at Zinc, uh, the essential element in background checking, um, which is our new tagline as we recently rebranded, which is very exciting. So today I am absolutely delighted to introduce uh, a friend of mine, although courtesy of two very busy schedules and one major (laughs) pandemic, as you do. Um, It's actually been a very long time since we've had the chance to sit down and catch up. So this is this podcast is you know handy um, you know in so many ways. Um, so Jessica Zwan, welcome. Hello, <laughs> hello. So Jessica is the COO at Whereby, um, uh, a Zinc customer. Hello, and a total pro at building scale up businesses. She's much better at this than me. So absolutely perfect person. Oh rubbish! <laughs> welcome, um, and I'm really I'm really happy uh, and glad that you could join me. Yeah, well, I'm really happy to be here. Well, like you said, we're very happy Zinc customers and you're a longtime friend. So this is a match made in heaven. What a joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think we're going to we're going to have a lot of fun and cover some some really interesting stuff, which I'm very excited about. Um, however, for some folks who, for some crazy reason, um, aren't familiar with your background and what you've been up to recently, uh, would you like to give a little bit more of an intro to yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so yes, I'm currently the CEO at Whereby. Um, I look after everything that is basically not sales or tech or product. So um, that is legal, people, business operations, finance, uh, customer support, um, and people and talent, of course, as well. So um, that's actually where my background is. I've pretty much always worked in people, people operations, a bit of legal stuff as well. Um, and uh, it's a real kind of passion of mine as 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 wanky as that sounds yeah I really um I think that the the people operations part of the business is truly like a the true heart of a lot of the business operations so I'm really proud to to have that background and I'm really really excited about chatting a bit more about it so I am super excited to have you on the show um, because if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to big you up a little bit um, because Jesse, folks, has an upcoming book coming out that is a lot of the same word over again. Apologies, gang. And it is called Built for People, which is really exciting. And congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it's been a very long process. I'm excited about having it in people's hands finally. Yeah, absolutely. A, a huge, huge amount of work goes into writing a book. Um, you've got some awesome experience. So I, I personally am very excited to read it and I think it will be extremely insightful. So really cool. So with the book so close to release day, how, how are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about the book? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's um, So the, the whole premise of the book is the idea that the people operations part of your business is actually just another product function. Um, So it's kind of utilizing product management principles and practices and uh, applying them to people operations in in terms of how you build your organization um, and also in terms of how you think about kind of shipping and releasing pieces of work um, and also about kind of how to stand out in the marketplace and kind of culture market fit is what I call it and a few other bits and pieces. So um, it's, I think it's something that 
is fairly novel. Um, I haven't really seen many other people kind of, I don't think this is anyone else has written a book on this topic, which is nice. So hopefully there's something new coming out. Um, but it also means that there's like a lot of stuff that I had to really like, not just have gut feeling and anecdotal kind of ideas about, but I had to do a lot of research into how product management teams function. And um, it's been a really interesting process. There's been parts that's really like cemented my opinions about certain things, which has been great and educated me on like, actually, wow, the way that I was even doing it a year and a half ago, two years ago could be improved upon. And that's really kind of shone through, I think. Um, but then there's also been so many other pieces that I, you know, I just didn't even know about that I was able to to help include. So it's been a really fun process for me, although yes, it has been very long. Um, whoever, I mean, I'm sure someone told me that writing a book was hard before I started doing it, but they should have told me more often. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a huge amount of work. It's a real labour of love. A uh, very good friend of mine has written uh, her first fiction novel mm. and recently released it, which is very exciting. Um, for those with a very beady eye, it's on my bedside table along with uh, a couple of other books that I'm reading at the moment. Um, classic ADHD brain. I read about four books at once. It'll take me a year to finish them all, but I'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's it was very interesting, you know, as, as the best mate, uh, seeing that whole process from start to finish. And she's spent about six years working on it. And, uh, you know, sort of blood, sweat and tears goes into getting these, these books out. Um, and it is a very exciting moment when your friend releases a book and you can hold it, a copy in your hands. So, yeah, yeah really looking forward the spring when I can do the same with with yours as well thanks yeah I'm excited really good I think an interesting one this is probably less for the HR folks more for the literary nerds but I think there's some crossover there for sure Mm. how did you find the writing process um so I'm a very kind of disciplined person when it comes to like my to-do list (laughs) this is like probably not the answer people expect um but I had this like Trello board where every single week I had a certain amount of words that I had to complete in order to reach a target. And it was kind of like this like project plan that baked up into like, basically I gave myself OKRs I had to achieve to publish this book. Um, and every week I had to write a certain amount or do a certain amount of um, you know referencing or whatever it needed to be um, so that I was able to kind of get it done, which I think worked really well for my life because obviously I'm still working while writing this book. Um, and you it's not like I had days where I could just kind of wake up with a coffee and see where inspiration took me. Like I, I really did need to like write 2,500 words a week or I would never reach my publication target. Um, so the good part about that meant that I was like pretty much always on track. Like I think I, I met every single one of my deadlines and I was able to kind of make sure I kept, kept the ball rolling. And also when I wasn't really feeling it, which does happen, I still was able to kind of get stuff done. The good thing about that, is, like, so I guess the bad thing about that is there was some days where I just was like, oh, I don't like, I don't even know what I'm going to say today. Like, what am I going to write? And going back and re-editing them, I like did not give enough time to myself to edit. Like, I don't think I really fully metabolized just how long and kind of like emotionally exhausting it is to read your own writing and edit it. Um, like listening to my own voice, seeing the sentences that I can remember writing and being like, girl, what were you talking talking about for this whole paragraph like this is just nonsense um it's it's pretty intense so yeah I think the way that I did it worked for me it wasn't like the most creative process I will say um although there were moments where I did 
feel very kind of unleashed and really enjoyed it. Um, and I think kind of getting into like, you know, I, I wrote a lot of case studies. I did put real practical case studies from my own experience and some other colleagues' experiences that I had. But I also um, I made the decision to make like kind of fake companies that I based case studies around. Um, so I kind of invented a couple of startups that didn't exist and a couple of scale-ups that didn't exist and built stories and narratives throughout the the book based on those those companies. And that process is actually really fun because you kind of get to goof off with like the funny experiences you've had in the past and kind of exaggerate them or yeah. So that was good. Yeah, that's uh so two things with that. I love that you've written a book about a product management led approach to people operations and then have also taken a product management based approach to actually <laughs> writing the novel uh, that's the first thing that struck me it's very mm. meta very clever um, but I think it makes sense because this this dreamy idea of, of being a writer and uh, yeah you know kind of getting up wafting around you know your loft apartment with a coffee while the rain pours outside and sitting at a typewriter just doesn't exist mm. um, sort of pretty much everyone I know who's who's written a book and I'm very very fortunate I know a lot of very 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 smart women who've written some amazing books um, and yeah it's all sort of like similar you have the, the edit process it takes ages to sort of like keep yourself on track and on task and actually it's very I think I think sort of you know giving yourself deadlines and setting OKRs is is a you know a really smart way to to keep yourself on task and, and kind of moving um and yeah some, some of what you're saying reminded me a lot of a lot of uni um and the edit was one of my bigger essays I did comparative literature so it was a lot of reading oh, a lot yeah. of writing um essay after essay after essay and uh reading back I just oh, there were some I just didn't edit at all because I just couldn't bear reading my own writing it's back. horrendous it's isn't it oh my gosh it's actually such a skill it's such a it's such a skill anyway yeah it's rough I wanted to ask a few questions about the book as well so mm. more specifically um so moving slightly from from the literary to the the people opsy um I I don't think I've seen a, a book that specifically does it I know that there's a couple of people that also love a, a sort of a product-led approach to people operations um off the top of my head uh, my friend Anna Rowe um is one of them um and and she's at Mind Foundry at the moment um and does some really cool stuff in that space but for folks who aren't aware of taking product-led approach to people operations, um, what what does that look like? Yes. So the way that I um, kind of most simply describe it is, I, there's basically there's there's a mindset and then there's an operational piece. So the mindset piece is I think fairly easy to explain, which is basically that the employee experiences a subscription product and should be like thought about akin to one. So. When an employee or a, a candidate applies for a job on a job um, careers page, you uh, should think about that as being the same as like any part of an acquisition funnel. The recruitment process obviously is a bit more intense than an acquisition funnel in like a, a subscription product. You're not going to be vetted before you get like a wine subscription box delivered to your house. Um, but the same principles I think do apply in terms of how you think about the metrics going through that and how you think about reporting and also how you think about kind of assessing who is a high quality customer and who's going to have the best lifetime value 
Um, and then you have uh, onboarding. Again, onboarding is fairly straightforward. The onboarding piece in a subscription product, there's lots of things that a product manager thinks about in terms of um, how to keep your their customers engaged, how to understand whether or not they're going to be kind of long-term subscribers and have high lifetime value, um, which I think people, operations people can really learn from. Um, and then there's this whole life cycle where people are in the business um, growing and uh, you know, getting promoted, I consider to be fairly similar to kind of like getting add-ons or upgrading or having upselling, um, which is, you know, if someone joins the team as an account director, account manager, sorry, you don't want them to stay an account manager forever. You want them to kind of upgrade and upsell them and become an account director and add more to the value of the business and um, have a higher lifetime value and have more impact, et cetera. Um, and then finally, the last piece is like churning and really understanding why someone's exiting from the business and canceling their subscription. Um, I do get some pushback a little bit on that from some HR people, which has been like, well, people aren't actively choosing to subscribe every month. But of course, that's, you know, you're not actively choosing to subscribe to any subscription every month. The choice is whether or not you choose to cancel your subscription. Um, and that is really, I think, the most important thing to think about. And there's lots of great ways that product managers kind of think about that. but the mind set shift there for people operations people is rather than think about the HR function as this kind of administrative function um, that moves people through a life cycle um, the, and is kind of like a support role in that, the people operations team is actually building that entire product life cycle and trying to optimize it and improve it. Um, and that is what leads into the operational piece. So there are different, I guess, depths that a people team can go into when they're kind of apl applying this operationally you can have people operations team like i build and i have been building for the last few years which literally operates like product squads so you have um, people partners who work in kind of fairly vertical aligned pieces of work and you have one person working on user research and one person working on um, launching the communications and one person working on uh, the kind of technical pieces and maybe that doesn't mean themselves they are coding but maybe there's a consultant they're working with and they're kind of leading that um, all the way through to someone that just adopts the mindset and is working in a, in a kind of fairly standard like Ulrich model or a HR shared services model, um, but encourages their team to be thinking in kind of output-based metrics rather than input-based metrics and kind of adopting some of the practices of product management. Um, my personal opinion, obviously, is that everyone should be working more towards the first than the second, um, but I know that it's a journey, right? Yeah, I think if you're having a, a shift in the way that you work, uh, sometimes it's easier to do, you know, sort of like incremental changes. Like how can you blend this new practice in as you go? Um, if you've got a lot of different stakeholders in a, a larger team, perhaps to win round or, or sort of it's a very new way of working. Um, sometimes like just chipping away at things and knowing that you're incrementally getting getting towards your goal again a very uh a very kind of product way of of looking at uh you know sort of a, an epic um if you like um yeah i think that's i think it's really interesting um it's something that we are trying to get better at at zinc um this year uh, you know sort of this past year has been very much about kind of just just growth uh which is great and uh, coming from being a sort of a contractor as I was to a per member of staff, there's been a little bit of me just jumping in feet first and just going, right, let's let's get hiring. Cool. Yeah, go. Bam. But now starting to slow down and think, right, 
we we've done this we've got data on this and i'm thinking about what it looks like so ha- we're in the process of, of having a bit of a retro on the way that we do recruiting and, and people and thinking what went well what didn't go well you know what would be even better if and and then just sort of starting to actually we've kind of done that that work and now we're starting to do the the fun bit where we we kind of start looking at actually like building a you know a more refined engine mm. um, so yeah it's quite the best bit it's exciting oh yeah oh yeah the best bit definitely um fellow people ops and talent nerds who are listening uh to our podcast will be nodding in agreement i'm sure Mm. um so awesome um so thinking about that and and i think we've probably both i think we're probably both uh have similar sort of opinion um on this um because i think i think it's it's brilliant idea as well but you know, for for folks listening who this is still like a, a really new idea to, what in your opinion is the way that taking this approach can really transform uh, people operations? Yeah, I think there's there's so much in this that enables people operations people to be more commercial, right? And that that I think you know, I'm going to answer with a very like kind of heady cerebral start to this question. Um, love it I've always really you know I kind of I'm getting tired of this trite kind of boring tagline that's added onto a lot of kind of people ops blogs and people ops I don't know whatever books and things which is like people operations it's time to have like a seat at the table and then the like method in which they describe us getting this like seat at the table whatever that means is like we start having more HR analytics but don't change anything at all about the way that we actually do our work <laughs> um and like I'm laughing because I'm like yeah yeah <laughs> this is like it, it frustrates me so much they're like oh just like hey what you know you go and if you google what is the future of HR right now like maybe there's a couple of things that come up that I actually would find really interesting but um I think that the things that I find really interesting and kind of more of the fringe ideas like workplace DAOs like what's in that like let's talk about how like democratizing decision making works but if you look at like SHRM or Forbes or whatever you see these same kind of boring listicles that come out every year. They all say like HR data and remote working again, like, okay, we get it. It's been that since like 2020. Right. Um, And no one really is talking about like actually changing the practices of HR. Like no one's actually talking about like reframing, like what is it we're actually trying to achieve? What is it? Who are our actual customers? Um, What do businesses actually need from us? And I think those questions are ones that are like really well addressed by shifting to a product management mindset. Um, Because one of the things that I I have seen people teams do over and over again, that I think is a real problem that this kind of mindset shift changes is first of all, people operations team that kind of tout and talk about these like corporate values, like, Oh, you know, we're a really fast paced company. We value performance. We want people to feel like they're recognized and rewarded great basically every company in the world says that by the way but that's a different yeah. <laughs> thumbs up well done yeah it, it, it would be a worry if you as a business weren't thinking that way yeah exactly <laughs> um but then the people team goes away and builds like a performance management and salary change process where you have to wait a full year and you sit down in a room and you have your manager read through a set of 15 questions that the hr team sends them and there's like this administrative process to get it done and then you're allowed to have your whatever percent pay increase, um, which is describes basically a process to me that could be not could not be further away from 
all of the values that they expect the business to be displaying when it comes to dealing with their customers and dealing with each other. Um, and I've always kind of been frustrated, like, why does HR get a pass at doing, like, they get this complete write-off of like, oh, all of the things that everyone else is expected to do, the people team's allowed to just get away kind of with not really 100% doing those things because, oh, it's too hard for reporting or it's difficult for compliance or it's too administrative. Um, and I don't think that's been because people teams are obtuse or don't want to be giving value. I think it's just because we've been kind of topsy-turvy in terms of focusing on like what our actual priorities needed to be and what our actual, what, what is the, the people team's internal business model? Like who are we trying to serve and how do we best do that? Um, which leads yeah. to kind of inflated people teams with a lot of people doing admin and kind of chasing people for updates and lists and don't forget to complete your recognition surveys that come out this quarter and what do we do with those surveys? Nothing because we don't have research researching better than the way that we work. And, um, you know, I, I really do think that there's a lot that can be very easily changed if the, the mindset shift happens. For sure. Yeah, I think... Um, my rant is over. I'm off yeah, my soapbox no, no, I love it. I love it. I've, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a whole podcast to go on soapboxes regularly. It's great. Um, it's, it's, it's what they're for. Um, but for sure, like, I think it's been really interesting. The, the HR analytics particularly made me giggle because like that has been a, a trending topic in our space for since 2006 or something. Yeah, yeah. Before I even started my career, I think I was still working at HMV back then. Um, great job, by the way. Loved it. Super fun. Um, <laughs> was that but, your first um, job in HMV? No, it was not. It was my, I think my third. I worked there for two years. Um, my my schoolmates joked that they didn't think I was cool enough to get the job. Oh, so uh, more for them. I do. I do love asking people what their first jobs was. It's so funny to think about like going back in time and seeing like a future like talent lead sorting CDs in a HMB or something. It's very, it's very, it's, it's an entertaining yeah. imagining anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting. I think some people have got some, some really cool stories uh, about some of the, some of the jobs they've done before, before they, you know, uh, fell into recruitment as the joke often goes um, for sure. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I think, with HR analytics, just to jump back, you know, it's been trending for such a long time, but, there's been there's not been much about like what you actually do with that data like you collect it you report it you show it off at this this board meeting at this seat at the table that these analytics have let you got apparent get let you get sorry yeah. apparently and that's cool but one of one of the things we we've got at the moment is um so i think uh all through 2022 we didn't really have any data um because the, the business was you know sort of running very lean um and sort of waiting for for the right moment to grow so i i data wise didn't really have a lot to work with in terms of improving processes you know what was there before so i kind of went with what i knew but all of 2022 i was working on actually just gathering feedback gathering data now i've got all of i've got this quite a lot you know for, for the size and, and sort of scale of the business uh that you know we we were at the end of 2022 and you know now i'm i've actually got stuff i can put into you know I can actually do something with it um but it doesn't mean anything if you you know you just gather all this data and let it sit somewhere and, and don't do anything or send it. a report to the board great oh 
you know it doesn't it doesn't it didn't really do anything so like one of the things we're looking at is you know how can we refine our recruiting process like what's slowing things down how can we speed things up um talks a bit on an earlier episode but very briefly and a very uh extensive discussion with Rob Long about that but um you know also like optimizing like the onboarding process and making sure that when people join I'm sure they're joining a, an early stage like seed stage startup but you know they're having a really good onboarding experience they're being set up for success like how can we keep making this better as well and, and I think with every new joiner I hope anyway that you know so we're gathering more data more information and actually like you know sort of meeting up regularly and, and really kind of pushing ourselves to say like right what are our users our employees saying and how can we keep pushing to improve this um I think also one of the the kind of mistakes or oversights maybe is a better way to describe it I see in people ops is like just looking at people operations data in isolation like just looking at our onboarding data or just looking at retention data and not looking like if you're just doing a report of sick days data what, what does that even what does it mean um like I I think that there's a huge missed opportunity and actually people operations people really understanding like the actual commerciality of the business and understanding like well how does our like how does our revenue track or look against like if we're looking at revenue as a lagging metric against sick days or like uh, time in uh, the, the business or like how is certain squads um, different outputs uh, like their, their OKRs achievement against various data internally that we have in the people team. Um, but just looking at in like just looking at the people team data, I think is only looking at part of the picture. Like if you speak to um, the business, they aren't just looking at the P and L they're looking at, users on the website like traffic data they're looking at acquisition data they're looking at data of people like engaging with the platform they're looking at multiple different sources and kind of correlating those things together to try and get pictures of things yeah um and i think the other thing as well is like this idea that like the survey is somehow the solution to all of our problems um like the amount of bloody surveys that come out from people operations teams and don't don't get me wrong like i'm a big fan of sending surveys and questions and um asking people for like just some kind of quantitative feedback but there's a huge missed opportunity there as well when it comes to like just honestly understanding like what does a user research interview look like and how do we hold that when it comes to using the products that we're building for our team like actually sitting down with people and saying I've written this policy can you read back to me and say what do you think this policy actually says yeah yeah that's I mean that's such a really good kind of tangible takeaway uh I think in ways that people could just kind of get and implement something so you know we do we do an onboarding feedback survey i i am guilty i will hold my hands up i said i'm not against a survey there's just a lot of them for some teams yeah but i think one of the most important things to me is i don't want to be writing a survey uh for the sake of writing a survey and then doing nothing with the data so we regularly sort of once i'd say once every other month uh get together have a look at the you know sort of the feedback as it's come in and say you know are people happy with you know their experience are there is there any you know it's mostly quantitative there's a few kind of long form answers where people can elaborate on things if they want to and we've got some really in you know useful feedback um just like little things like we had some data that people needed to get onboarded in Trello um but then we largely use Notion uh mm. so it's just like well let's just move it over to Notion and have it all in the one place and somebody I was like cool you mm. know I suggested it mm. and sort of thing oh yeah we'll get around to it and I'm like no 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 people are saying this will make their experience better so let's just do it we've got data 
we've gone we've done the research let's implement this and just like that I mean you know it made everything you know, it, it's a tiny change but it, it actually those tiny little changes can make a big difference it reduces you know your admin time or it reduces you know the amount of logins people have to do and you know the amount of click rates uh, that people have to go through to to get to you know the the, the product that they want which mm. is their onboarding um and you know it's finding those little efficiencies is you know sort of a really really important tool and actually actioning them yeah um even more so agreed yeah it's yeah it's been uh it's been interesting we're 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 getting there we're getting there um for sure um but like all things it's it's a constantly constantly growing um so sort of kind of one one idea actually that sort of almost kind of maybe even answers my my uh my next question mm. um having literally mm. just talked about this but hopefully I'm hoping this won't be a spoiler um because I really think that, that people listening um definitely should be reading the book and, and sort of taking the whole idea in and the whole practice in um but if for folks listening if they are looking at transforming or they want to transform their way of working people ops, but it's not something that, you know, sort of maybe they can do overnight or they know they've got to mm. win a lot of people mm. around um, as, as lots of folks have to, what would you say would be a really good way to just start moving in that direction? Yes. This is a question I get a lot because basically there's like two camps of folks that exist in, in, I guess, like leading HR teams. You've got, kind of greenfield HR leaders that come into a completely empty team and you're kind of building everything from scratch, kind of similar to you a little bit at Zinc at the moment, right? Like you're coming in, there's a whole bunch of stuff you need to do and now you get to play the fun game of actually building the, the actual function. Um, and that's a, it's great. It's great fun. It's Again, everything has pros and cons, right? Con, it's an awful lot of work you have to do and that means that you're going to have a lot of really scrappy stuff for at least a year, maybe two, before you actually feel like, okay, we can start iterating and improving what we have. Um, Massive pro is you can like literally build the team in a product management mindset straight away. So you can get in and just say like, this is how I want to build the team. I want to have like a kind of squad formation. We're going to do retros. We're going to have quarterly sprints. This is how, uh, sorry, quarterly planning and fortnightly sprints. And we're going to work as a product team right off the bat, which is great. Um, But that's, those people are such a small minority of actually working people operations leaders out there. The vast majority of us come into a role where something already pre-exists. And usually that something is a team. Um, and usually that team has a whole host of their own opinions about how things need to be run. Um, and that is a much more difficult shift. Now, pro for that is that you have people to help you and you've got pre-existing stuff you can iterate on and you can see impact really quickly and like, a, a, I think a much more applicable and operational way. Um, but the con there is you're going to have to win a lot of hearts and minds and really do a change management process. And organizational change is really hard. As everybody basically knows, there's like hundreds of books on it. Um, I actually, um, there's one I, I suggest, which I think is really, really good um, called The Neuroscience of Organizational Change by Hilary Scarlett. Um, it's a great book. Um, it sounds a little bit lofty, but it actually is very, very practical. So I do suggest everybody read that if you are trying to implement change. Um, but the the thing that I suggest you start with first is honestly the mindset. Bringing to the team the idea that like, hey, I'm a people leader. The way that we think about our team now is that our 
what we're building is a product and this is our product. It's a subscription product and our team are our customers and we need to be taking a customer-centric um, mindset and everything needs to pass through that kind of way of thinking. Um, from there, I think it's also very easy to start really pushing your team to be thinking outputs rather than inputs, which is a massive shift for a lot of HR teams. So very often you'll see a people operations team where all of the goals will be implement X project or launch this thing or update X policy. Um, but I think getting the team to shift to improve onboarding uh, engagement by X or time to efficiency by Y or increase our offer to um, higher ratio by blah percent, right? This is something recruitment's actually always been traditionally pretty good at. I think um, it's really more on the, the people op side of things that, that needs a bit of a hand getting to output metrics. Um, but it's a shift that can easily happen. And that already changes a lot about what HR teams are delivering and how they're thinking about the customer. Um, and then I think the final thing that really benefits teams, like you can, there's a bunch of operational stuff. You can implement the kind of design, um, design workshops at the beginning of quarters. And when you're thinking about your OKRs, like those kinds of things. Um, but I think one of the most important changes, more fundamental actually than even doing all of those things is getting your team to start thinking in first principles, which means what is the problem we're actually trying to solve? And this is kind of also, a, uh, I guess, like something that helps drive output metrics. But if one of your previous projects has been like update the wording in the policy handbook to X, Y, Z, or update the wording in the policy handbook around holidays, right? Actually sitting down and asking the question, like, what are we actually trying to fix? What's the problem here? Um, and then rather than just jumping to like, oh, the problem is too many people booking holiday in summer. Okay, great. Well, the solution is going to be at, like why? Actually sitting with that problem for a moment and saying, what are the available solutions to that problem? What are the different things that we could do? Let's go do some research and figure it out. And it doesn't need to be 12 weeks of research. It can literally just be a week of asking a few people, reading a few things, seeing what the market's doing, and then coming up with a solution rather than just jumping straight to like, oh, I already have done this in the past. This is what the best solution is. We just change the policy and say why, right? Um, and I think that first principles thinking and really pushing back on like, what is the actual thing we're trying to solve? What is the actual, what's the problem here? Um, changes a lot in terms of what people operations people are trying to do because that automatically pushes you towards outputs rather than just inputs, 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 admin, 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 building, building, building stuff that people may not use. Yeah. Yeah, I think looking at that that root that root of the problem and and thank you those those tips are, are really useful and I think I particularly really like that last one thinking about kind of the the root of the problem what are you actually trying to solve because I think um a really good example and one that's been debated over and over again I think we we've spoken about it as well um you know way back when we've we've both worked in companies that have had different approaches but like thinking about annual leave um the unlimited <laughs> holiday question really hey. uh, knowing giggle but the, pro the the problem it's trying to answer is making sure you know are employees well rested are are they happy are they looking after them, their their life outside of work but was the answer to that question unlimited holiday? Because what a lot of businesses and, and you know, I think we'll probably, probably agree on this as well, um, is that actually people will take, then it was found people were taking less holiday. So actually the, the policy wasn't answering the problem. Um, and another approach was, was, you know, sort of needed. And it's been interesting seeing like a, a shift in the way that even companies that have unlimited holiday have, have administered that policy um because they've 
to take stock go actually this isn't working the way we wanted it to work so let's go have a look at the root of the problem and then you know sort of work out a solution from there um it's an interesting example because i think a lot of people uh listening to this podcast may actually have, have implemented that that user research that sort of product thinking when approaching an issue like that without realizing yeah i mean i wrote i don't know if you read it i wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago called in defense of unlimited holiday <laughs> um, yes, yes in response to my very very dear friend ben uh charlie's blog well i don't think it was even his. maybe it was his blog post actually but charlie hr wrote a blog post like why unlimited holiday doesn't work for us um which is a great blog yeah. post and i definitely suggest you go and read it if you're struggling with your own implementation of unlimited holiday um but every time we I, I kind of I we get into these like arguments on Twitter. I'm I'm off Twitter at the moment, but um every now and then someone will tag me in like a Twitter thread of something like trying to get me fired up, like Jess, what do you think about this? And for a while there was quite a lot of like Matt Bradman is the worst of this actually. He will just find any like Matt Bradman is the CEO of a company called People Collective for those listening, um, and a kind of a mutual friend of Sophie Nice. But he will like he loves the drama. So if I like, um, if there's someone posts something controversial on Twitter, Matt will just like at me and then I'll have to, I often have to like exercise my self-control and just ignore it. I'll be like, yeah, interesting. Or I get like fired up and I'm like, well, actually, that's what I think about it. Um, but one of those things often was often unlimited holiday and people just being like, it's just a way for a company to rob you. Um, so yeah, I wrote this. Yeah, very, very emotional response, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wrote this blog post about how I actually think that people, I think this is, a, that, like you mentioned, like this is such a great example because so many people just didn't think about what they're actually trying to do with Unlimited Holiday and just said, well, it's a benefit that everyone else is doing, so let's just do it. And then they wrote this policy that was confusing or didn't have like a way of working in their company that allowed um, kind of the trust and transparency and accountability you need for unlimited holiday. I call it uncapped holiday. Um, uh, and there's a, a bunch of other things. Or, or they started, you know, trying to like report on how much holiday people were using as like some kind of metric for output. Um, there's lots of bad practice, I think, when it comes to it, because people, again, didn't actually say like, what is the problem we're actually trying to solve here? Um, and I, I actually think there's probably a pretty fair argument that quite a lot of geographically bound companies so if you're a company that's just in the uk don't need necessarily unlimited holiday but anyway that's a different conversation maybe yeah yeah i think uh going into kind of country specifics different uh labor laws things like mm. that's always always an interesting one but we could go on for a whole a whole other podcast about that yeah probably. i think so yeah, I kind of uh, kind of picked like a uh, sort of a topic that uh, I knew sort of, uh, you know, you know, picked an Get example. me fired up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I, for anyone listening, I'm I'm not on Twitter um, because that was a very knowing laugh if if you heard it uh, when Jesse was telling me about our, our dear friend Matt because yes, I've been tagged in a, a few of those um, and also would get fired up and then waste a whole afternoon. It were, you know, not not always about other people as well, but. Uh, Yes, I had to. Uh, I had to dip out of Twitter. Uh, I've also dipped out. Yeah, I um, I've been, I've you know, uh, I've been off it now. I joined in two thousand and nine, which is crazy. Um, 
think I've been off it since 2019. Oh, wow. So really, yeah, I've only just come out for this month for just a couple of weeks. I just need to give myself some headspace. But wow, that's a long time. Do you have any, do you have other socials or just LinkedIn? Uh, LinkedIn and then on sort of like personal personal life Sophie is, is Facebook and Instagram mainly Instagram mm, really yeah um yeah um Facebook I just use for groups and and just sort of talking to mum family updates everyone everyone's yeah, mum's exactly. on Facebook yeah yeah I know yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my nan too oh um, okay yeah yeah I yeah yeah I think it's a it's it's a good example of like a great idea with good meaning behind it that could be better implemented and mm. therefore people get more out of it. And and ultimately then it answers the problem you want it to answer, which is people enjoying their time off, people making the most of, of sort of time outside of work that that's important to them in a, in a meaningful way. Because mm. if we're going to, as people operations professionals, um, you know, go to all of the effort of doing these things for our employees. We want them to actually answer problems for our employees and actually work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that, you know, because otherwise what's what's the point? Um, for sure. But um, yeah, so I think that's been a really interesting dive in. So I'm going to, I'm going to end on a fi- final question. So Jesse has written uh, an incredible book that is coming out in spring 2023. We are, you know, I am, and I know um, some folks in the team at Zinc as well are really excited to read it. Um, I know my co-founder Luke is as well. Um, so we've got a got a little internal book club. Um, oh, cute! Lots of, I love that. Um, so yeah, so um, though he's ahead of me, um, the next book on on my list at the time of recording, I may probably will have read it by the time it comes out. Maybe um, is the Soul of Startups by Sophie Thien. Mm. Um, Luke's ahead of me on that. Um, I'm really looking forward to that and I think yeah there's a lot of a lot of really cool women that have written some really awesome books lately and I am just loving seeing it so that is that is awesome so one of the things that I think is very difficult for um for us us professional professional ladies is bigging ourselves up so I'm going to ask you a question that might put you at the edge of your comfort zone Mm. um but I think it'd be really nice to to end on a high and celebrate you and your hard work um what is maybe one or two things uh, that you've done in your career that you are really proud of? Um, well, I, you know, obviously I, I'm incredibly proud of the book and I'm really excited for that to come out. It feels a little preemptive to say I'm proud of it because who knows what's going to happen when it gets out into the wild. Um, but I am very proud that I, I managed to complete it. Um, the other thing I'm really proud of actually is I uh, wrote my dissertation, my law dissertation a couple of years ago, which was about the legal implications of remote working cross-border. Um, and I uh, yeah, I really actually love that process. I, I loved doing my law degree. I'm really excited to go back and do my master's and hopefully my PhD as well one day in the same kind of field. Um, and the final one is, it's a soppy, lame one, but I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm really proud of the relationships I've been able to build as a as a people manager over the last couple of years. Well, just generally, but um, I'm one of the, you know, I've I've had some pretty bad bosses in my time, um, and I have really tried over the course of my career to get myself into a position where I can have respectful, safe, and also very like you know kind and friendly relationships with the people that I I manage and lead. And I'm 
you know, yesterday I had a one-to-one with someone that doesn't work in my team anymore. I still try to have one-to-ones with a lot of my previous team members and catch up with them and see how they're going in their career. Um, And it was just such a lovely conversation, just talking about where we're both at right now and some of the things that we're working on and thinking about. And it just makes me feel so grateful that I'm able to have that relationship with, I think, pretty much everyone I've, I've ever managed. I have a very, very good relationship with still even today, even if they're not in my team. Um, and that is something that I, I don't think everyone can say. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And you should be, I think we, I did a podcast with Abby Adamson, who is another. Oh yeah, of course. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's fantastic. And we, we touched on, touched on how important empathetic leadership is um, and the impact of, of having bad bosses and, and what it can have and, how we try and, and move forward. And and I think, yeah, it's a lot to be proud of. Um, the best way to move forward is by, uh, you know, kind of uh, living a much better example and putting that out into the world. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful note to end on. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. Um, I am very, very excited um, to read your book when it comes out. Um, did you want to give it one final plug? Oh, gosh. Just, I mean, <laughs> hopefully if you're interested from this podcast, you uh, you drop, drop me a message on LinkedIn and I can send you through some details to, to get a, on the pre-order list. But yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at promoting the book. No, I, I love it. I'm excited. There's the, <laughs> there's the writing, there's the editing, and then there's the self-promotion and all three of them are really blooming hard. So um, yeah. huge well done. The one thing that I have, I've, I've managed to be actually really good at is I've realized that on, around the book launch time, I'm allowed to have a lot of dinners with people and like that's group just... dinners where everyone has a copy of the book. And I'm like, that I can get into. I can plan a dinner. So that, oh, yeah. that that's actually something that I'm, I'm, I'm good at. That, that sounds excellent um should I ever get around to writing a book that'll be the bit I most look forward to as well mm, uh, for sure yep yeah, uh some of the team and I've joked about starting an internal uh like what zinc ate this weekend podcast um it. giving it a shout out um because uh, uh they think I'm joking I'm not, I'm not joking um <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate you coming to talk to me. It's been a super interesting discussion. Um, Folks listening, let me know what you think. Uh, Like, share, comment, give me some feedback, let me know. And look forward to seeing you on the next episode or hearing from you um, from the next episode of Talent Hacks with Scale Ups. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Zinc. Zinc is an all-in-one background and reference checking software that supercharges the capabilities of ambitious HR and hiring teams. Our range of integrated solutions turn bad to brilliant, saving weeks of team time all while building brand love. Thanks for listening.